the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 4 has said to us, come boldly to the throne of grace. That sounds strange, doesn't it? You want me to go in there boldly? People think about God and coming before God, and they think about groveling and crawling and hoping they don't get smited, whatever that means. But that is not how he invited you to come in. He said, come boldly. Well, where does that kind of boldness come from? It comes from your identification. I'm not coming in before the throne in the name of Jeremy. There's no boldness in that. That's arrogance. But when I come before the throne of grace in the name of Jesus, that is identifying with him, I can come boldly. He said, come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help. And going back just a few weeks ago, we've decided that at any given moment in our lives, those are the two things we need more than anything else. You and I are in constant need of mercy and grace to help. And if it's not one, it's the other. And most of the time, it's both. Say it out loud. I need some mercy. I love mercy. I need grace. You are acknowledging when you say that, I'm not able to do this on my own. I need grace to help. Whatever it is you need help with, there's grace to help with it. If you need some help parenting, guess what? There's grace for that. People like to talk about how there's an app for everything. There's an app for that. Oh, there's an app for that. Well, I can do you one better than that. There's a grace for that. You need help in your marriage? There's a grace for that. You need help in, in, in the health of your physical body? There is grace for that. You need help in your finances? There is grace for that. But it starts with you acknowledging, I need help. When you fail to acknowledge the need for help, that's called arrogance. That's arrogance. Boldness is, Lord, I'm here. Hi, me again. I'm at your throne. I need some mercy. I need some help. And that word obtain, where he said come obtain it, is the same word translated, who remembers? Take it. Take it. Come before the throne of grace and take that mercy and take that grace. How many know you got to be bold to just walk up to the throne and take your grace? Well, Caleb was bold. He said, we are well able. Let's go right now and take it. Let's take that land. He went on into chapter 14, and he said this, and this reveals identity. He said, the Lord delights in us. See, everybody else saw themselves as grasshoppers. Caleb and Joshua saw themselves, they identified as the ones he delights in. How are you identifying this morning? Are you identifying as a grasshopper? What is that? Small, weak, easily stepped on? Or do you identify as one in whom the Lord delights? I'm telling you, church, he delights in me. Does he delight in you? You ought to say it all the time. He delights in me. The Lord delights in me. And that's what Caleb said. He delights in us. Look what he's done for us. He likes us. He really, really likes us. And he had to like them, to stay with them through all their stupid stuff. And yet he's still there. He's still there. He's still there. He must like these people. 
And Caleb said, he delights in us. Let's go right now and take it. But when they, they tried to kill him over it. They tried to stone Caleb and Joshua over that. And the Lord spoke up in the middle of it, talked to Moses, and he said, how long will these people reject me? When you and I don't take by faith what grace has offered, you are rejecting him. Be like somebody coming up to you, offering you a present because they like you, because they love you, because they want to bless you, and you say no. They're not just rejecting your gift. What are they rejecting? You. And the Lord took it personally. Why and how long are they going to reject me? And it was in that moment that he said, not one of this generation is going in. Except that Caleb guy. Except Joshua. You know what the Lord said about them? He's got a different spirit in him. What's he saying? I like that guy. And what was that different spirit? Boldness. Boldness that comes from knowing he delights in you. That's righteousness. Amen. How do you identify? Thank you, Lord. Now, we also looked last week, put this on the screen for you, Psalm chapter 37, verse 25. Look at this again. Love this verse. Thank you, Lord, for this verse. David says, I have been young, and now I'm old, which in itself is a good testimony, isn't it? it? means you didn't get cut short. It means you've lived out the number of your days. David says, I have been young, and now I'm old. Yet, I have not seen who? The righteous, that's me, forsaken. When you come to a place in your life where you've lived a long life, and some of, some of you who are, are elders, you've, you've lived longer than the rest of us, you could attest to this. You could say, man, I've seen some stuff. You stay around this place long enough, you're going to see some stuff. And you can come to the place in your life where you feel like you've seen everything. And I imagine that's where David was. And so much of his life is recorded for us in Scripture, and every one of us know, yeah, he's seen some stuff. He's walked through some things. He's made some good choices. He's made some not-so-good choices. He's seen the blessing of the Lord. He's seen what happens when you disobey. He has seen some stuff. And David is saying, you know what? I've been young. Now I'm old. But you know what I've never seen? I have never seen the righteous forsaken. Now, after a long life, you would think that you would have at least seen one or two righteous forsaken. And David said, I've never seen it. Never once. So because of that, you know what I don't identify as? Lonely. I don't identify as forsaken. There's so much that goes on in church culture that tries to label people as, you know, we've all been there. We all just feel so distant from God. Stop identifying with that. Come on, have some faith about you. Don't look to the feeling of God being close to you to convince you whether or not he's close to you. 
I don't care if he feels as far away from you as the sun. This was the topic of conversation on the way to church in our car this morning. Justice was telling Jesse how the church is 90, or the, the, excuse me, the sun is 93 million miles away from the earth. They're having a big conversation about this. So we were trying to figure out who's closer, us in Colorado or our family in Texas. 93 million miles away. That's a long way. I don't care if God feels like he's 193 million miles away. Don't identify as lonely. Don't identify as that. And if you got to say it, then say it by faith. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He's as near to me as my next breath. I can talk to him right here and now as though he was here right here and now because he is. And even better than being right next to me, he's in me. Who cares what the feelings tell you? You tell them. I'm not forsaken. I'm not alone. He has never forsaken the righteous. And he's not starting with you. He's not starting with me. I'm not forsaken. So I, I don't identify as forsaken. Now this verse goes on. He said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor have I seen this, his descendants. Whose descendants? The righteous. Now this is where it gets really cool. And this is what I want to spend the, the few minutes that we have left talking about. This verse, in it we discover not only a promise to the man or woman who is the righteousness of God, but something else concerning their descendants, their sons, their daughters. David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor have I ever seen the righteous person's descendants begging bread. It goes on to say, he, this righteous person, is ever merciful. He lends... And his, this righteous person's descendants, are blessed. So who is the righteous? That's me. Now guess what? Your descendants, come on, your sons, your daughters, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren, your great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren have the blessing of the Lord because you identify as the righteousness of God. Which is why it is so critically important that we find out what it means to raise our families in a house of faith. We must raise our children to know and to believe you, they are the righteousness of God in Christ. There is, we talked a moment ago about an identity crisis. There is a massive identity crisis happening in this world. And you and I both know it's being pushed actively every day, forcefully on our children. But you want to eliminate all the confusion about who and what they are? I don't know what I am. I was born this, maybe I'm that. Maybe I'm neither. Maybe I'm a dog, maybe I'm a cat, maybe I'm a grasshopper. You want to eliminate all that? Tell them who they are in Jesus. 
Tell them who they are in Him. Raise them in a household where they are trained to believe the Word of God. And when they don't know who they are, they run to God to find out who they are. They're not running to culture to say, who am I? You tell me who I am. They're not looking to feelings to define for them who they are. They're not looking at an unbelieving world to supply for them their definition, their identity. No, they got that a long time ago from their righteous mom and their righteous dad who served a righteous God and they were raised in a righteous home trained to believe they are the righteousness of God in Christ. And even if I don't know this, that, or the other, baby, I know this. This is who I am. Is who I am in Jesus. Is who Jesus is in me. And we eliminate all confusion. Glory to God. And when you raise your children in that environment, guess what? You are ensuring that the descendants of the righteous are not beggars. He said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their descendants begging for bread. The Amplified Bible, he says, I've never seen the descendants pleading for bread. All day long, the righteous is gracious. He lends and his descendants are a blessing. One translation says the descendants are blessed. Another translation says the descendants are a blessing. Well, they're both right. And if you want your descendants to be a blessing... They're going to have to find out how blessed they are. And that's who they are in Jesus. That is the righteousness of God that they are in Him. Thank you, Lord. Listen to this. The descendants of the righteous are not supposed to be begging for bread. Believers are not beggars. I don't identify as a beggar. There is a mentality, a beggar's mentality that is far too pervasive in the church, thinking that to get something from God requires you to beg, requires you to plead, and the beggar's mentality is, I'm unworthy, I don't deserve it. The beggar's mentality is, you have every right to withhold it, but I'm begging you. But listen, believers are not beggars. We don't identify as beggars. When we raise our sons and daughters in a house of faith and tell them every day who they are in Christ, they will not take part in the global identity crisis happening right in front of us. They don't have to be confused about who and what they are. They won't ask the unbelieving culture to tell them who they are, but we must raise them to be believers and not beggars. Now, to be made righteous, let me focus on this, is to be elevated to the status of a son, to the status of a daughter. I don't identify as a beggar. I identify as a son in the house of his father. I identify as a child of God, and as a son, I have all the rights that the son has in the father's house. Galatians chapter 4. Verse 4 says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that he might receive the adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you, he's about to reveal some identity to you. You are no longer a slave, but a son. 
And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. You remember I said we're reading the word looking for identity. Who am I in Jesus? Who is Jesus in me? You just found out. You also just found out who you're not. You are not a slave. You are a believer, not a beggar. You are a son and not a slave. Don't identify with the mentality of a beggar or that of a slave. Identify with the mentality of a son. Don't turn there, but you can just listen to this. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, Behold, not a word we use too much anymore. But you know what it means? Look. Look at this. Look at here. Look at here. Look at what I'm going to show you. If you and I are standing out on a mountaintop around here, and I'm looking in one direction, you're looking in another, and I say to you, Behold. What am I telling you? Quit looking at what you're looking at. Start looking at what I'm looking at. That's what this scripture's saying. And there comes a time you got to stop looking at some stuff and start looking at some other stuff. And here's what you got to start looking at. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. One translation adds, and so we are. You are a child of God because he calls you his child. And that is love, and you need to get your eyes over here on that love. Look at this love. He calls you his child. And you know what you've done. You know what I've done. And yet he calls you his child. I can't tell you how many times as a kid growing up in my house, I heard and saw my mom look at my dad after something I did and say to him, that's your son. <laughs> Come on, be honest, moms, dads. Have you ever, you ever been tempted to not claim your child, especially in public? When they're acting a fool, what do you say? I don't know whose kid that is. I don't know who that person came with. The temptation we have because of them acting the way they are to not claim them. Guess what? Your heavenly father will never not claim you. Even though the dumb stuff you've done, I've done, the way we've missed it, the way we've sinned, I know, I get it, but he will never not claim you still claims you as his son. So what should you be identifying as? A beggar? A slave? A son? A daughter in your father's house? Amen. Glory to God. We're not beggars. Believers are not beggars. Oh, there's so much more to this. I don't want to take too much more time, but I, I remember... I remember the day I became a dad. And if you're a father, you remember that day, don't you? Every detail about that day. That day for me started about 3 or 4 o'clock that morning when Sarah nudged me awake. And it was pretty common throughout her pregnancy, the first one especially, she would get that kind of pain in her lower back in the middle of the night. She'd be like, can you please just rub my back? Which, of course, I was so very happy to do, roll over and Rub that back for probably 10, 12 seconds at least. <laughs> and I found it was so hard to lie down and rub somebody's back and say, and I, of course, would drift back off to sleep. But about 3, 4, 5 o'clock that morning maybe, she finally got out of bed. And she was just feeling different. Now, this was two weeks before the boy was due. But she's in our bathroom getting ready and... and and uh, I thought, are we headed somewhere? What's going on right now? And she said, I think we need to go to the hospital. And again, we're 
couple of weeks out. What's going on here? So I thought we were going to get there, and they were going to tell us, close, but not yet. Well, we get there, and I remember everything about the drive there. Sarah remembers everything about the drive there. She felt every bump in the road. (laughs) Jeremy, slow down. But we get there, and we get her checked in, and they check her out, and sure enough, we're about to have a baby. And I remember saying to that nurse, we're having a baby today? She said, you are having a baby today. So we called the family, and Sarah's family was, they were in Branson, Missouri. We were in Fort Worth, but we got them on a plane, got them there as quick as we could. And that little guy, Justice James Pearsons, he showed up that day healthy and strong and changed my life forever. And uh, I just remember looking at him that day and, and realizing there is nothing I wouldn't do for this thing. There is nothing I wouldn't give, no price I wouldn't pay. This little guy just changed my whole world forever. And that change didn't just last one day. It seemed like he was changing it more and more every day. And uh, the funny thing about him, I noticed, right when he was born, and really for months, he spoke no English, (laughs) which I thought was interesting. No English whatsoever. And I mean for months. For months, it was nothing but grunts and giggles and squeaks and cries. And I can't tell you how many times I just wished and prayed he would speak English. Especially 2.30 in the morning when he's just screaming, crying, and I just want to be like, bro, tell me what you want. You say it, I'll do it, but just I got, I've tried everything. Please tell me. No English. Until one day. One day, the three of us were in our kitchen, that first little house we lived in together, and Sarah's feeding Justice yogurt, so this is what, six, nine months, something like that, after this little guy showed up, and out of nowhere, you know what my son said? Dada. My son said, Dada. It was like a drop-the-mic moment for me. I thought, this is it. I've arrived. My son said, Dada. And you know what I said? Say it again. Say it again, man. Say it again. And I wanted to hear it over and over. And it put such a smile on my face, put such joy in my heart. And a couple of days later, we were out on a walk. We would go on a walk with him in the stroller around our neighborhood And the Lord spoke up on the inside of me. I don't mean I heard a voice. I just mean he said something to me on the inside. And he asked me a question. He said, you want to know why it pleases you to hear him say that? I said, why? He said, because your son is learning to speak your language. Your son is learning to speak your language. And as soon as he asked me that, why does it please you? Man, my heart ran to Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. How much joy it brings our God when we learn to speak His language. His language is the language of faith. And there are so many people crying out, pleading, begging, Praying prayers, now this is going to sound funny to you, that he doesn't even hear. Doesn't God hear all prayers? No. 
Jesus told us in the book of Matthew. There are those prayers he doesn't hear. Well, if you want to pray a prayer that he hears, doesn't it make sense you're going to have to speak a language he understands? Right? Now, when Justice was born, we lived in Fort Worth, Texas. And I noticed this about Texas. When I would flip through the TV stations on my television, we had a whole series of Spanish channels, and which is great. The only thing I have a problem with is that I don't speak Spanish. So everything coming across those channels is doing nothing for me, right? You know what doesn't help? Turning it up. And yet we try that, don't we? Have you ever tried to talk to somebody and you ask them a question? And, oh, sorry, no, uh, no habla inglés. I mean, what I need is, can you tell me how to... Turning up the volume is not going to do anything. If you want to get anywhere, what do you have to do? Speak the same language. Turning up the volume on the television when they're speaking in a language I don't understand doesn't help me understand it. Turning up the volume on your begging is not, is not going to cause God to hear a prayer. God no obla beggar. You understand what I'm telling you this morning? He no obla doubt. He no obla unbelief. He no obla fear. He obla faith. And if you want to speak to him in a way he hears it, receives it, understands it, responds to it, you got to speak the language he speaks. Believers are not beggars. Sons are not slaves. You want your father to take delight in you, be pleased with you. Speak the language your father speaks, the language of faith. Amen? Go ahead and stand up with me. Thank you, Lord. He takes pleasure in you and I learning to speak his language. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. You can also visit PearsonsMinistries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.